the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Right now, there's a situation brewing in the men's basic department. Men are being held hostage by overpriced brands that simply aren't mission-tested. That's why we're excited to tell you about Undertack, the only brand that's literally been battle-tested by special forces. These have to be the greatest boxers ever made because they cover all the bases. High-quality material that's antibacterial, anti-pilling, and moisture-wicking so you stay fresh and dry all day. Uh, I recently did a 30-mile run in preparation for an ultramarathon in a couple weeks wearing the Recon boxers, and they were absolutely incredible. I loved them. They have a quick-release fly and a secret pocket in the extra-wide waistband for cash or tactical necessities. Undertack is durable, ultralight, fade-resistant, and shrink-resistant. And here's the best part, they're almost 30% less than the competition. Go to getundertack.com. That's getundertack.com right now. Save 20% off your order with the offer code SITREP20. All one word, SITREP20. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. That is a great American company that's unapologetically pro-America, pro-Second Amendment, and pro-military. That's getundertack.com. GetUndertack.com, offer code SITREP20. Welcome to the Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our best to bring you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stallnicker. I am your host. And again, very glad to have you joining me today. Uh, It's fun to do three episodes a week because we can cover so much ground and have some great interviews and some great conversations. Today is one of those great conversations. We have discussed immigration already a couple of times in the past. We, we continue to talk about this. Why do we continue to talk about it? Two reasons. Number one, because it continues to be an issue. But number two, because the landscape of immigration is constantly changing. Uh, The players, who it is that's allowing it to happen, who's backing it, who's getting behind it, uh, what the motivations might be for those who are involved in really opening the border to illegal immigration. And as this changes, we need to have experts on who can help us understand what and why. And today we have one of those. Very glad to have this conversation with John Bender. For those of you that don't know John, he is a journalist with Breitbart News, and to simply say he's a journalist does not even begin to encompass all of the things that he's a part of. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it today. Thanks for having me. So people who follow Breitbart would know who you are, and uh, certainly those who follow you on Twitter and some of your socials know the stuff that you're into, but a lot of people in this audience may not. Give us, uh, give us some background. What you do for Breitbart, but go back a little bit. I'm, I'm always fascinated by how people get into this line of work. So what brought you into this? How did you connect with Breitbart? And what do you focus on there? Yeah, so I always wanted to work for Breitbart um, when I was in college. 
Andrew Breitbart was just a huge influence along with others and Coulter, Phyllis Schlafly. Yeah. And kind of like the greats, that trifecta, in my opinion. And so I always wanted to work for Breitbart. Um, so I started um, covering immigration for them about five years ago. Um, and I also have a fashion column there, which is fun and totally unrelated, yeah. obviously, to immigration. Um, but yeah, I, I got, I got into the immigration issue mostly because of the reporting that I was following when I was in college about the gang of eight amnesty in 2013 and the fight over that, which was really a fight over who was going to be in control of the Republican party, um, after Mitt Romney's lost loss in 2012. Um, so that kind of got me into this and, that's where things started. Yeah. Uh, this is a, an interesting time for young people, I think, culturally. And you're you know, younger, obviously, certainly than me. You said that you gained an interest in this or began to be interested in this in college. Um, did you come from a family of conservative folks? I mean, what was it that, that kind of, uh, I don't know, was the catalyst for you to begin looking at conservative voices and say, that's what I want to do and that's what I want to be a part of? Yeah, I mean, I definitely came from a very conservative family. Um, I'm from this. I'm from the deep south, so it's um, you know, <laughs> it's, conservatism is just kind of like in the water here. Right. It's it's um, cultural, right? Yeah. It's cultural, and people really forget that when they move different places from where they grew up, or um, when people move to different states, a lot of the times when like. Uh, blue staters move into red states, Republicans see that as like a huge win. You know, it's great Mm. that all of these Californians are moving to Texas. And if you're from an area like, like my area, my hometown, you know that politics is very cultural. It's very generational. And you kind of develop, of course, you develop your own politics as an adult, but you, your basis for all of that is where your parents start. It's where your siblings start, your aunts, uncles, the rest of your family. Yeah. And so my experience was no different than that. I would say the catalyst for me was being in college. I didn't go to an overly liberal college. Sure. Yeah. And the 2012 election was going on. And it was just very apparent that all of my like older um, boomer (laughs) professors were very, very liberal. And Mm. I didn't have a lot of opinions on politics at that point. I mean, I knew I was like much more conservative than I was liberal on things. Um, But it really kind of came from a place of thinking that all of these older boomer professors were like just lame and I just thought it was baffling to have the same opinions as them yeah. on all of these issues because I just found them to be, you know, just very uncool, you know. Um, so right. that, I guess that's kind of the catalyst for all of that. Yeah, interesting. It's funny you mentioned Ann Coulter. I followed Ann Coulter for a long time, and then I don't know what's happened to her recently, but she's kind of dropped dropped out of the scene. I don't know. She was a very very strong voice for a long time, and that was a lot of a lot of those folks were very strong, very influential. Um, I really grew up in the late 80s and in the early 90s. And it was people like Rush Limbaugh, Ann Coulter, you know, some of those voices that began to cause me to think 
politically conservative, conservatively. I was socially conservative coming just the way I grew up, but politically conservative. And the torch has been passed. And it's good to see that there are people who have picked it up. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, when you talk about that, this is not even why I asked you to come on, but uh, people moving from one state to another. I live in California. A lot of people are moving from California into states like Texas. Will that have a negative impact or a positive impact, this migration that's happening really across the country for some of these red states, people moving out of blue states like California? Well, it just, I mean, this is like the not sexy answer, but it just really depends yeah. on what we've seen with Florida in terms of um, New Yorkers, residents of New Jersey, the tri-state area, Connecticut, moving to Florida is, you know, at first there was obviously room to be alarmed by that because anytime that you have blue staters moving to red states, it it is quite alarming. I mean, look at what's happened to Colorado, Western Colorado over the last decade, um, which is entirely caused by Californians moving to Colorado. Mm. What's currently happening with Idaho. Yeah. um, Californians moving to Idaho, driving up rent prices, bringing very much liberal values to those states Mm. that were once, well, Idaho is still very conservative, but Colorado used to be much more conservative. Sure, of course. Um, And so I think there was an issue with that early on, wondering who was moving to Florida. But then as we've seen, it's overwhelmingly registered Republicans that have moved to Florida because the media has hyped Florida up to be this very dangerous place to, right, to live. Right. <laughs> yeah, so right, right. was like scared um, <laughs> Democrats and liberals from moving to Florida. Um, but I, I would say that in the case of Texas, um, it's going to be a huge problem. And it's something that Republicans definitely are not concerned enough about. When I say Republicans, I mean elected Republicans. They seem right. to be cheering on the fact that um, out-of-staters from blue states specifically want to move to Texas. The problem is, is that you've seen what's happened with um, the suburbs surrounding the Austin uh, yep. city limits. Yep. And it is not only immigration that is driving so many areas to turn blue, but it is, you know, a lot of white liberals moving from the state of mm. California into those areas, working in the tech industry, working in the finance industry. And so it depends on what states you're talking about. If it's California to Texas, it's a huge problem. Um, In the case of Florida, it's, it's a totally, it's totally taken a different turn that we kind of haven't seen otherwise in other places. When we see companies like Facebook relocating to Austin and or the region of Austin, you're in Texas. Is that an intentional move to flip a state, or is that just it's it's a better business environment? Um, is there intentionality behind it, or is it just kind of this is what happens every 50 years? People move and things change. I'm not sure if there's an. I mean, I'm sure it's very much intentional in terms of. Um, I mean, companies are concerned about where they're getting the most tax breaks. Right. Most- That's right. Yeah. That's just how things run. And unfortunately, Republicans and Republican legislators um, tend to be all too often um, wanting to give out those tax breaks. I mean, the folks that were cheering on Amazon moving into Virginia was completely astounding. 
considering that Amazon with all of that will bring an entire, you know, campus headquarters of very liberal professionals to the state that would not bode well to Mm. keeping a Republican electorate there. Um, So yeah, when you see like Facebook wanting to move to Texas or some of the financial industry wanting to move to Florida out of New York, um, you have to wonder the impact that will have. The folks that continue to claim that these things have no impact, people will develop the politics of everyone else around them that currently live there. That is just not the case whatsoever. That has never been the case. People take their politics wherever they go. And just because they're high taxed in states like California, New York, um, Washington, D.C., Virginia, and they're sick of that doesn't mean that when they move to a low tax state um, or safer state that is a red state, um, that they will suddenly change all of their opinions on those things. And we're seeing this in Georgia as well. I mean, look at what's happening with the Atlanta suburbs. I mean, changing dramatically and not in favor of Republicans. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch. I have a lot of friends in Texas. In fact, the organization I work for, um, we've had our headquarters in California. We've actually moved our headquarters to Texas because we're from there. It's it's not for tax purposes. We're a nonprofit, but uh, it's really interesting. And people talking about that move and what that's going to look like. Um, and, and Texas is an interesting case, and this gets to the actual reason we're talking <laughs> to immigration. Um Governor Abbott has been horrible on immigration on the Texas border, um, just as I think in many ways he has, as you said, not taken seriously the migration that's taken place, you know, elsewhere in the country um, to Texas. And so when we look at the the border, what are some issues that uh, you're seeing right now, some issues that you're reporting on right now, some things that you're talking about right now? Well, I think the main issue right now is um, what's happening with Title 42, the Biden administration wanting to end the public health authority that was put in place by the Trump administration to really allow U.S. Border Patrol to quickly remove border crossers and illegal aliens. Um, And that was something that was the first of its kind. It had never been used before in that way. Um, and the Biden administration wanting to rescind that is just getting an enormous amount of pushback, not only from Republicans, former Trump officials, but also many Democrats. We've seen Kirsten Sinema, Mark Kelly, Mark Mark Warner from Virginia, um, and a couple of Texas Democrats, um, Henry Quillar and Vicente Gonzalez, um, talking about how concerned they are for their communities where, you know, the mass releasing of border crossers and illegal aliens into the U.S. interior, that their communities are the first for those individuals. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of people that are released now every year, tens of thousands that are released every month. I mean, just in the month of January alone, the Biden administration released over 62,000 border crossers into the U.S. interior. And where do those folks go? They end up in states all over the country, but they initially end up in communities in Arizona, communities in Texas, communities in New Mexico and Southern California before they are bussed and flown into states like Connecticut, New York, Pennsylvania, Georgia. 
We were not made to live in isolation. Sadly, many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. A lot of guys end up drinking, a lot of guys end up losing hope. Some of them will go to the VA and they'll try to get, you know, prescription medications to help with PTSD. You know, they'll get pills for anxiety, they'll get pills because they can't sleep, now they'll get pills for depression before they know it. they're taking 12 different medications. And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope, and that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. As a result, we've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Everything they said just kept hitting me in the heart over and over and over again. It's like all the things that I didn't know that I needed to hear. And uh, I opened my heart to God that week, dude, and like... <laughs> I've been a different person ever since. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. We provide our programs and resources, including travel, at no cost to our warriors. I remember talking to a licensed uh, social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went, and I'm glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. Our mission is to serve and restore our nation's warriors and families who have endured hardship through their service to America and to help them find new life purpose through hope in Christ. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Can you talk more about Title 42? Um, that's something that I haven't understood. In fact, I've only recently become <laughs> aware that that was an issue. Uh, what is it, what was happening before the Trump administration put that in place, and why would Biden get rid of that? So Title 42 is, it's like sort of a complicated <laughs> Um, yeah, federal statute, public health, which is probably why most people don't understand it, right? right yeah. <laughs> because it's a complicated statute. Exactly. the The short um, history of it is that it's a Center for Disease Control public health authority that has been on the books for quite some time, but that has never been used in the way that the Trump administration used it, which is at the border to say that. Um, border crossers and illegal aliens coming from all over the world showing up at our border pose a public health risk mm, to American yeah. citizens. Um, and of course, they used it in terms of Chinese coronavirus, but it can really be used for a whole swath of viruses and illnesses and diseases. I mean, California was having measles outbreaks not too long ago. Yeah because of border crossers and illegal aliens being captured and released into the state of California that was really driving that. Um, so it can be used in other ways. It's just that it had never been used before. And the Trump administration decided to use it for coronavirus. It's been in place since um, sometime May, maybe of 2020. And mm. it allows border patrol and federal immigration officials to very quickly return 
illegal aliens and border crossers to their native countries. Um, and it, it expels them. Uh, so they are not released into the U.S. interior. They're not held in uh, detention along the border, waiting for, you know, asylum hearings, et cetera, immigration hearings, et cetera. Yep. So it has given Border Patrol and federal immigration officials a whole new tool of being able to manage what is now extremely high levels of illegal immigration. I mean, there were two over yeah. 2 million border crossers, illegal aliens on the border in all of last year. That's, that's the population size of Philadelphia that was on our border last year. And without Title 42, there may have been millions more, hundreds of thousands more. Um, we won't really know. But now administration officials say that if they lift Title 42, there will be somewhere between 500,000 additional border crossers and illegal aliens every month on the border. Um, That's unbelievable. And so it's causing room for concern, obviously. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Jorge Ventura. He has done a lot of work on the border. He's done um, a couple of documentaries on, on this issue. I was talking to him, I don't know, it's been a couple of months ago now, and he was walking through, particularly on the Texas-Mexico border, how much trafficking is taking place there. So when, you know, those on the left talk about compassion and, and all the issues, they say this is the reason we should open the border. Um, he, he talked about the numbers of young people, uh, adults who are being trafficked, the drugs that are being trafficked, all those things in the name of compassion, right? Um, what is, what, I've asked this question a lot. What drives those on the left, particularly policymakers, to say this is a good idea. Why would they overlook trafficking of children and trafficking of women and the drugs that are coming across the border and all the other issues, the health issues? Why would they overlook all of that? Is it is it ideological or is there something uh, more nefarious as in trying to change voting blocks and those kind of things? Well, I think it's become ideological. Um, and I mean, this isn't just on the Democrat side. There are Unfortunately, the majority of elected Republicans are mm. very much aligned on this issue in constantly promoting mass immigration to the U.S. Um, this wasn't a position that was ever taken by Democrats um, in any period before the early 2000s. I mean, Interesting. so much of the Democrat platform centered around labor protections. Immigration used to be a function of the Department of Labor. Um, it was always seen as something that was an economic burden to right. um, struggling Americans. And Democrats absolutely took that position. Um, I mean, the woman that was responsible for fighting for not only an end to illegal immigration, but reductions to legal immigration levels in the 1990s was Barbara Jordan, who was a civil rights icon, um, who was a Democrat from Texas. And she she um, chaired the commission that Bill Clinton had set up at the time. Mm. And the Clinton administration was very supportive at first of her recommendations to end illegal immigration in terms of it being a labor market pressure on poor and working class Americans because they're competing for the same jobs that oftentimes right. illegal aliens right. are competing for. And also many American teenagers today right. um, that are competing for those jobs. 
And so this wasn't something that was ideological. In fact, Democrats were very much on the side of fighting for America's working middle class in the labor market. And that's why they supported immigration reductions. Um, Sometime since then, though, it has become very ideological um, in terms of having open borders, this idea that our nation is nothing more than um, a charity that should welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Really, I mean, there are there are mil- hundreds of millions of people around the world who want to come to the United States. Sure. So immigration right. is about numbers and it is about limits. Um, you can't welcome everyone. You know, even yeah. our immigration system, which seems limitless, has limits. We have numerical right. limits. Um, and so that's something that the Democrats have really blown through in specifically the last two decades where it has become about keeping not only wages down, but as you mentioned in your question, um, you know, shifting the electorate towards one that is very much more favorable to their political power. And that is just the case. I mean, you can't, even the establishment media admits that today that Democrats overwhelmingly are favored by Americans who were not born in the United States. And yet the uh, Democratic vote, voting bloc or those who vote uh, Democratic, they don't see a connection between um, the lack or the scarcity of jobs and immigration policy. And it's, it's fascinating to me that we can't see the connection there because you're right. And until you said that, I, I hadn't thought about it. But the things Donald Trump was saying when he was president are the things that the Democrat Party used to say. I mean, almost word for word and line for line. And and we've got to protect jobs. And this is why this is important. Um, how is there such a disconnect between those who are being impacted and those who are instituting policy? Well, that's a great question. I mean, not many people, I think, think of this. You know, we're constantly talking now um, about representation. I mean, this is like the new, the new initiative yeah, right. of the left is sure. representation in everything for yep. every single walk of life of person that you could possibly imagine. Right. And yet the <laughs> right. most lack of representation specifically in Congress and I mean, certainly in presidential administrations um, and probably state legislators as well um, is a lack of representation for working and middle-class people. I mean, how many working right. and middle-class right. people are there in Congress? Yeah. I can't actually right. name one. Um, and it, it was, ne- it was actually never that way. It, you know, um, America once upon a time did elect members to Congress that were former union workers, um, people that worked in manufacturing plants, all of those things. Um, and small business owners were very much used to be much more represented than they are today. And it's become, um, you know, sort of the ruling class is a small group of white collar professionals that have moved their way up through either business or state politics. And it is not representative of the average person whatsoever. And so that is where you get that disconnect. I mean, think about think about how wealthy people see immigration in their day-to-day life. They see it when someone picks them up in a cab and they're speaking to that right. person. And they're like, right. oh, this person is so nice. 
right? Sure. Um, so why would I not support open border? Right. More immigration sure. to the country. Um, they see it in cheap lawn care services. You know, the land, the gardener is cheap. Um, the the housekeeping is cheaper. Yeah. All of those things. They live in gated communities. They don't see changing neighborhoods. They don't see changing communities. They don't see the destruction that illegal immigration yep. has on American families who end up right. being the victims of illegal alien crime. They see none of those things. And so they can only see it through their vantage point. And therefore, it's there's this massive disconnect between them and working and middle class people that they're supposed to represent who see the impact of immigration in their day-to-day life in terms of jobs, um, in terms of the real estate market. I mean, look at the real estate market right now, right? I mean, it's like absolutely wild what people in yep. certain places of the of the country are paying for homes. And the Democrat <laughs> yes. solution and many Republican solution to that is to add more people to compete for homes against you. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. From a from a policy perspective, why don't lawmakers then look at the problem as a problem with our legal immigration process? My my wife um, immigrated with her family to the United States from Western Europe. It's a different situation, but her family immigrated here, which meant her dad had to come before the family did, and he had to go through that process. He brought the family. Um, there is a process. It's a difficult process. I don't think anyone would argue with that. It takes a long time. Um, it puts a burden on families, but it's a process that a family that goes through that will, you know, be a kind taxi driver. Will be someone who contributes to their society, who who cares about America. Uh, why, from a policy perspective, then do lawmakers not look at this and go, well, instead of opening the border, why don't we change our legal immigration process? That's something I've never understood. What What's the disconnect there? Is it just we've got to get more people in? Why don't we fix the actual broken part of the system? Well, I always say that because, I mean, everyone kind of now, everyone on both sides constantly uses the terms broken in, in right, the immigration right. system. And we have a broken immigration system. Mm. And I don't believe that whatsoever. I think our immigration system works exactly as it as it was intended to work. Right. Um, sure. I mean, this was done by um, you know President Bush back in 1990 that blew open the levels of legal immigration that we see today, where over mm. a million people are given green cards, and a million and a half people, in addition to that, yeah. are given temporary work visas to come to the United States and take jobs regardless of what our unemployment rate is. Mm. Um, and so I think what you see today in terms of folks wanting to change the immigration, legal immigration system, it is never about reductions. Um, it is never about making it more streamlined for a smaller pool of people. It is always about expansion I mean, that's what's currently going on. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Koch Brothers Networks, and the George W. Bush Institute are currently formed in a coalition together that are lobbying Republican lawmakers to work with Democrats to expand legal immigration levels, despite their being already at historic highs. So it's never about reduction. It is never from the vantage point of who does this help? Every national policy helps and hurts 
certain groups of people. You know, I mean, you can certainly say that about our healthcare policy. Who does our healthcare sure. policy help? Insurance companies. Who does it hurt? It mm. hurts working middle class, poor Americans who can't afford health insurance. Um, And so that's the exact same thing with our legal immigration system. Who does it help to bring in over a million foreign nationals every year? It helps Mm. Wall Street investors. It helps big businesses that want more consumers to sell products to. It helps real estate investors who need more people to constantly be selling homes to, to change zoning laws, to create more multifamily housing, more apartment buildings over single family housing. All of those things. That's the wealthy that it helps. And then it hurts, of course, poor working middle class Americans to compete with them for jobs, housing, all of those things, and have to live in communities where the schools are very much underfunded because of all of that immigration. You have to have a, a much more rigorous ESL programs in the schools now that they can't grapple with. Um, there was a town I was reporting on that got no attention outside of Breitbart, um, as many issues, unfortunately, tend to be mm-hmm. case. Right. And yeah, right. There, it, was, it was going on during uh, the 2018 midterm elections, and it was this small town in Minnesota, and they were having tax selections, you know, to pass which taxes they wanted to increase their property value taxes, all that stuff. And one of the taxes was this huge property tax increase. And they had to pass it. The residents had to pass the tax because the schools were so underfunded. The ESL Mm. programs were being run in broom closets in the schools. The kids, there were not enough teachers per students. Why? Because administration after administration, no matter Republican or Democrat, had been using this town as a place to bus unaccompanied alien children who ended up in other people's homes, ended up in the schools, had to be taken care of, did not know the language, had no background on them. And it's it's the residents of a community like that that feels the real burden of mass immigration, Mm. illegal and legal. So we're at a place where millions of illegal immigrants have come into the United States. Um, I'd like to be optimistic, but I don't think that this administration is going to stop that. So this is the situation we have. How can conservatives um, bring (laughs) those folks from other countries into the conservative fold? So if part of the agenda, and I, I assume it is, I believe it is, if part of the agenda behind allowing illegal immigration is to expand the left voting block, the Democratic voting block, how can conservatives deal with that in a way that brings those folks, um, we'll say, into the fold mm-hmm. of, of you know, more conservative um, issues? And this is what's something we've talked about here as we prepared for our show uh, over the last several weeks talking about immigration is um, – particularly South American immigrants, it's it's a very interesting group of people because on social issues, they're so conservative. Um, But on, you know, political issues, (laughs) almost socialist in many cases. And so um, how do do Republicans, this is a terribly worded question, but how do Republicans bridge the gap and keep Democrats from bringing them into their voting bloc? I... 
I totally understand your question. Um, I think Trump has in many ways already shown us, um, shown Republicans how to do this. And it is through economic nationalism, policies Mm. that benefit working middle class Americans, but that maybe don't necessarily benefit um, the ruling class, their donors as much. Um, And so much of that is responsible for of many border communities that are, you know, majority Hispanic American um, flipping in the last election, flipping in their local elections. I mean, this was Mm. in the New York Times. There was an entire report about all of the border towns in Texas where Democrats have run them for 20, 30 years and they are overwhelmingly majority Hispanic and they for the first time in some of these towns in 25 years, there's Republicans running on, you know, the local ballot for mayor, for right. county commissioner, for city council races. That is so important, right? right? For so many of these areas. I mean, I talk to my blue state friends all the time and oftentimes they're, they're just saying, well, they're, they, the Republicans don't even run anyone in the mm. community where I live. I don't even have an option to vote for a Republican. It's just automatically Democrat. And so I think so much of that is like a rejection of what came after the 2012 election with Mitt Romney and that autopsy report, which claimed that Republicans (laughs) had to completely change into, um, you know, a party that promotes amnesty and mass immigration and, all of the we have to attract people through a sole focus on free trade and free markets. Um, I don't think that's the case whatsoever. I don't think there's any evidence for that at all. In fact, all of the evidence says the exact opposite because it's the border communities that are most impacted by current illegal immigration levels. Um, they understand the burden of immigration more yeah. than anyone. You know, uh, they're the ones that compete directly for those jobs against newly arrived illegal aliens and legal immigrants. Um, And I I think they understand these issues much more than oftentimes a lot of elected Republicans understand these issues, unfortunately. And um, a lack of representation in that way is probably driven uh, the culture to be very much new arrivals will not vote for Republicans. Well, no, they just won't vote for these Republicans. Sure. Yep. It's interesting you say that because so many of the issues I think we deal with nationally are really local issues. If we could get a hold of school boards and city councils and, you know, county supervisors, then we could win the national elections, but we're starting in the wrong end. And yeah, you're exactly right. Let a Republican run and make a good case for why, they should win this election, and that could turn communities around and and, and areas for sure. Um, man, what a great perspective! What will, if anything, the midterm elections? Um, what impact will they have on what's happening at the border right now? Oh, I think I think the midterms are going to be a a referendum on certainly the first two years of the Biden administration, but also the extent to which the Democrats have taken. Um, their economic and social agendas. 
Mm. Um, I think it's astounding to most people to see with a lot of the social issues um, right. what's going on. And I mean, we've seen that in Virginia with the election of Glenn Youngkin, um, with what happened in the school boards there, um, the hatred against the parents who want to be vocal in their child's education. And of course, with critical race theory being a, a huge issue. Yeah. Um, but I think a, a, a big problem for Republicans, even though I'm sure the overwhelming majority see this year as their year to win major majorities in the House sure, Senate. Sure. The Republicans' problem is that Republicans tend not to win elections. They lose elections. Mm-hmm. Um, and Democrats win elections. And that's just the case. Um, people are voting against what they don't like too often. Right, right, So when you have Democrat losses in certain states, it's not that it's a fluke. It's just that the Democrats have gone so far. And I think that's why you have a a lot of border state Democrats and Democrats in in many non-border states that are talking about the issue of immigration being a problem for them in their reelection. Because they see yeah. they see it as a threshold. People will only put up with this much, mm. um, yeah. and I think that's an issue for Republicans. I don't think Republicans do enough of a, a good job reaching out and expanding um, their base to include folks that are not registered to vote. There are millions of white working class Americans who are not registered to vote whatsoever. Why? Yeah. Why is the Republican National Committee not making sure every single white working class American is registered to vote for the next midterms? I mean, that could have mm. flipped the election for Trump alone. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fascinating to watch the Republican Party. Um, my personal opinion is that if we would focus on some of the smaller blue states in a real way, that we could one by one begin to flip those states because conservatism makes sense. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the basic premise of conservatism. It makes sense. And if we could communicate that, um, we just went through a recall election here in California, and I'm sure you're aware of that. The Republican National Committee invested not $1 into that recall election. Nothing changed because you know, Larry Elder was, you know, the leading candidate and he's very strong, had no support outside of the state. Um, No other Republican had support outside of the state. And so, you know, things continue as normal. And that has been a huge issue here and and nationally. I think you're exactly right. I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I often look at the maps from 2016 to 2020 in New York City and Long Island. And you know, I mean, if you watch the news all day, you just assume, you could just assume that there are no Republican voters in the state of New York. Sure. And sure. It, it's just absolutely not true whatsoever. And the gains that Trump made, despite losing the election, the gains that Trump made in Long Island yes. and parts of Brooklyn, Queens, is astounding. Absolutely astounding. And there are more Trump voters in mm. New York City than there are in the state of Nebraska. Yeah, right. And so it's not, it's, it's a numbers game and Republic Democrats have always seen it as a numbers game. Why their agenda is driven by numbers. Um, Unfortunately, Republicans are too often driven by money and donations. 
um, and special interest groups. Not that the Democrats aren't, but um, if they were driven more by numbers, the way Republic, the way Democrats are, they could be winning a lot more elections across the whole country. Well, hopefully some of that will change. We're seeing some younger folks come into um, into the fight, and that's been good, and some people who are actually pretty articulate, which is also great. So I guess we'll see what happens. John, thank you. Uh, man, what a great conversation. Really, really appreciate it. Where can people who are listening um, follow you? And uh, not only the political work that you do, but even the fashion stuff, <laughs> fashion stuff you do. Who would have known Breitbart would, uh, would have you know, someone talking about fashion? Um, sure. So my byline, John Binder um, at Breitbart.com, Breitbart News. Um, and my Twitter is linked in all of my stories. So it's an easy yeah. way to find me on social media. Awesome. John Bender, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com and use the promo code SITREP. Great interview. Appreciate John's perspective and the clarity with which he speaks. If you watch this show or you listen to the show often, um, you know that I often talk about clarity, (laughs) how important that is. Our goal is to provide information and perspectives that are useful and helpful. And so we do our best to have guests on who can do that, who can give useful, helpful information. There's so much information. There are so many people screaming. It's great to have folks on who actually understand the issues and can help us unpack what's going on. And John did that for us today. So grateful for that. I hope that was a help to you. Make sure that you are subscribed to The Situation Report. We all listen to shows like this, podcasts like this on different platforms. Whatever platform you're listening from, make sure that you are subscribed. That makes sure then that you are able to receive these episodes as soon as they come out. We want to keep you in the loop. Appreciate it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.